Good morning. We're glad that you're here this morning. That was pretty bad. Let's try that again. Did the Easter Bunny not come to your house? Is that why you're not excited today? Let's try it again. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, you know, I love this time of the year. I love Easter. I love everything about it. Let's just kind of take a poll in the room. How many of you love Easter egg hunts? Okay, let me, let me change it a little bit. How many of you love Easter egg hunts once money started going inside the eggs? That's a game changer, wasn't it? I mean, now the fight may break out because I hear change jingling, right? In fact, I was talking to some little boy this early this last week, and I remember what environment we're talking about Easter eggs, and he said, yeah, I said, we go to my grandma's house, and she puts a $20 bill on one of the golden eggs. I'm like, wow, I was like, what if you're the only kid that doesn't get something? He's like, she doesn't care. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, so uh, but I love Easter egg hunts. I love uh, the, the, the whole Easter basket concept, because that means I have a place to steal chocolate when I want it, right? If you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. And some of you, you know, I just love the idea of dressing up. Some of you got something new, and you look awesome today. And so, I love Easter. And all of us have something in common. We all have a story about Easter at some level. Like, you know, one of my favorite stories when I was a kid, that I, and you've heard me say this before, I remember my grandma from time to time would make my sisters dress for Easter and make my brother and I suits for Easter. Anybody have a grandparent do that for you? Oh, I'm the only cool one in the room. All right, so, and it was like the blue leisure suit. And so, if you had the picture, which you don't have, but you can find on my sister's Facebook, you'd find out there was a day that I was one hot-looking guy. I mean, it was an awesome suit, except we had to go to Hancock Fabric. You might remember Hancock Fabric? Hated that place, hated it. But I remember that. My grandma's passed away now, but I remember that thing. And you may have a memory of Easter. Maybe it's a tradition you do or, or an experience you had. But we all have a story about Easter. But we also, one thing we have, another thing we have in common is we also, all of us, have a story about our understanding and our decision about Easter. See, there's some of you in the room today, this would be your story. Your story is, hey, whether you grew up in church or not, there was a moment in my life when I truly understood that this Jesus guy died on a cross and his blood was shed so that my sins can be forgiven and this Jesus who died on a cross was put into a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. And I get that. I understand that. And I believe that. That's some of your stories in the room. But some of us, that's not our story in the room. Some of you go, okay, I, I get the whole Jesus down the cross thing, put in the grave, and, and you say he rose again, and, and I hear all that stuff, and I understand that, but at the end of the day, here's the position I take. I don't believe. That's some of you maybe in the room today. But I would say there's a whole bunch of you, if you don't believe, here's your story. Your story is, okay, I've heard about this Jesus guy who died on the cross. I heard about him rising from the, get to the dead and coming back to life. But here's where my position, Doug. I have doubts, Doug. I've got questions. I'm just not sure. And what I would submit to you this morning is, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, we all have a story about our understanding of Easter and the position that we've taken. Now, tonight, today what I want to do is I want us to take a look at a guy and his story. It's a remarkable story. It's a life-changing story. And it's a story of a guy by the name of Saul. Many of you know who this guy is if you've been in church a while because his name changed to Paul and he wrote most of the New Testament. But I want to talk about the story of this guy named Saul. This guy named Saul, the Bible tells us, was a Pharisee or a religious leader. Now, some of you are like, okay, Doug, that's a 
Bible word, it's a church term, I don't get it, what's a Pharisee? Well, it's basically kind of equivalent to, to modern day Catholicism having a priest, someone who teaches God's word to his people. That's what a a Pharisee was someone who would take the scrolls, unroll the scrolls, and begin to teach the Old Testament to his people that were in the temple that day. That's what a Pharisee did. They were viewed as religious and godly men. That's who Saul was. But in addition to that, Saul wasn't only a Pharisee who taught God's law and taught God's word. He was a Pharisee who couldn't stand this uprising of people who were followers of Jesus. He believed that all the followers of Jesus should be persecuted. In fact, the Bible tells us in the beginning of the book of Acts that Saul stood there and held the coat of the individual who stoned Stephen to death, the first Christian martyr. That's who this guy is. A religious man he said, well, how can he be religious and hate a group of people? Because he thought that this group of people following Jesus were teaching a false doctrine, a false message, and he believed it was his responsibility to snuff them out. That's who this guy was. But little did this guy know that his story was drastically about to change. And I want us to read about that encounter that he had. The book of Acts, chapter 9, is where I'm going to be this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If not, the verses will be up on the screen. Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 say this. But Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went up to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So he, he found any, along the, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now, this tells us a little bit about the path and direction of Saul's life. Saul, it says here, he was still breathing murderous threats, which means this. After the stoning of Stephen, he wasn't satisfied that one follower of Jesus was dead. He wanted them all gone. Because remember, he thought they're teaching a false doctrine. So he wanted them all gone. And it says that he was breathing murderous threats. The original word there means to breathe in and to breathe out. Now you're like, Doug, that's how you live. I get that. Yeah, I know you do. But here's the point. Is this wasn't just a pet peeve of Saul's. This wasn't just an annoyance of Saul's. He hated the followers of Jesus. He was as about an anti-Jesus as you possibly could be. So guess what he did? He went to his boss and said, look, I'm going to go to Damascus. And on my way to Damascus, I want a letter for the synagogue. So when I get there, all the people that I find that are following this Jesus guy, I want to take them, bind them, and I want to bring them back to Jerusalem. That's interesting here. He said, I want to gather all the people who seem to be following the way. Did you catch that? What is the way? Well, the way is the first terminology used to describe the first followers of Jesus. They were the way. Followers of the way. Well, where did they come up with that? Well, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so they were followers of the way. So he was on a mission to go from Jerusalem to Damascus. Now, think about that for a minute. We, you probably didn't know this, but it's 138 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. Almost the same distance from Popper Bluff to Memphis. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's just not that far. Well, let's walk that. You ready? How many of you ready to walk that journey? Nobody, right? You're like, I got my dress on, I look good. I'm not walking anywhere, right? 
And think about this. I mean, this was a several-day journey. This wasn't just a hop on a donkey and get there in about six hours. This was a several-day journey. So on his journey, he was going to collect and gather all the people who were the followers of Jesus or the followers of the way. And it says here he wanted to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. It's interesting that he would want to bind them. They say, well, he was going to bind them so they wouldn't run away. Well, that's possibly true. But he wanted to bind them and think about it. Once he found them and he had them bound and secured, he was going to parade them through every city he walked through. Every village he walked through, every city, every place that had multiple people, they would have seen Saul with his army of people, his little bodyguards, walking around with these people bound together as followers of the way. Now, why would he bind them together? Because he wanted everybody to know that saw them. That if you're going to follow Jesus, this is what you can look forward to. Being ostracized by the Jewish faith. So he bound them to humiliate them. Let me put it in kind of today's terminology. Let's say you did something you shouldn't do, which none of you in the room would do that, right? You just say you do something you shouldn't do. You stole something. And the police come and they put handcuffs on you. And they put you in the back of a police car with no top on it. It's a convertible. I know we don't have those, but just think with me. It's a convertible police car, which would be really cool to have. But it's a convertible police car, and they put you in the back seat, bound and, and, and kind of, you know, handcuffed back there, and they paraded you through Popper Bluff. Now, would that be humiliating to you for all the people that you may or may not know? We're going to go through Walmart parking lot. You know, we're going to go out, you know, uh, by the, the, uh, the, uh, the park department. We're going to come through Main Street. We're going to come out by McDonald's. Or, and we're just going to continue to make loops through the city. How embarrassed and humiliated would you be with yourself handcuffed and everybody knowing that you're viewed as a criminal? Would that be humiliating? Some of you are like, no, probably not. I'd probably enjoy that. No, you wouldn't. It would be humiliating to you. That was what Saul's goal was, to find those who follow Jesus and to humiliate them. To, listen, to humiliate them to the point that they would not want to follow Jesus anymore. And if you were on the fence, look what these cats have done to them. So don't follow Jesus. But then he says he wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, why would he want to bring them back to Jerusalem? He wanted to bring them back there because that's where this movement about Jesus started. That's where the cross took place. That's where Jesus was buried. That's where the resurrection happened. I mean, he wanted to take these people all the way back to Jerusalem and say, look, there is no real Jesus. There was all just a fraud. And I'm here to show you. Look at all these people bound together. And then he would bring them back to Jerusalem. And his goal was to embarrass them, to humiliate them, and to persecute them, maybe even to the point of death. Now think about it. That's who this guy was. How many of you wish he was your best friend, right? I mean, this guy was out to slaughter people. This guy had no good intention, but yet we know that he's a religious man. Isn't that odd? Is it true to say that some of the most mean people in the world are people that claim to know Christ? Right? That's a whole other message, but it's true, right? So this guy, I mean, this is the direction his life is going. He is headed down a journey to gather those who follow the way, are Christians, followers of Jesus, bring them back to Jerusalem to persecute them and to possibly have them killed. This is the direction his life is going. Little did he know that his life was about to change. Little did he know that he was about to experience a divine interruption. Now let me just, just look right here for just a minute. Here's why this is so important for us this morning. I don't know what junk you came in with when you walked through those doors. 
I don't know what struggles you've got going on. I don't know what view you have of God, of Jesus, of Easter, if you believe it, if you don't believe it, or if you just got doubts and questions. I don't know where you stand, but here's what I want you to, to know. That I'm praying for you that you would have a solid experience. That wherever you find yourself today, that there would be a moment in this next few minutes that you might experience a divine interruption. A moment that you might experience God speaking to your heart like you've never heard, sensed, or felt before in all of your life. My prayer is this, is that wherever your story is headed right now, whatever direction your life is going, that in the next few moments you might experience a divine interruption. So Paul's story goes on. I just want to read three more verses and we're going to unpack them. Verse 3, it says this. Now as he, saw, went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. There's a moment this guy is on a mission to kill, to destroy, to humiliate followers of Jesus. That's his direction. That's his mission in life. That's what he's out to do. And in the midst of his heinous, crazy, schizophrenic behavior, he has a divine interruption. And he has an encounter with the resurrected, risen Savior. Now, I want to unpack this for a minute. Go back to verse 3. Let's read that one more time. It says, And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Now, what was the light? Well, we know this. The light was the physical appearance of Jesus to Saul on that road. Now, today in our culture, we have to do a little work to figure that out. But back in that culture, those that heard the story would have understood it because they also knew that Jesus was called the light of the world. So for the writer of Acts, basically what he's saying is this, is that when Jesus showed up, he was, his glory was so radiant that the only word I can use to describe his presence was a big light. A light that was magnificent, a light that was glorious, a light that just totally encapsulated Saul on that road. Well, how else do we know that this was Jesus that, that Saul encountered? Look with me in verse 17. It says this. So Ananias, the one who eventually Saul would go see, departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you. So Ananias says, listen, that light you saw, we know who, I know who it was. I know it was Jesus. If you, don't, if, you don't know, if you don't believe that, look at verse 7 here. He goes on to say this in verse 7. He says that the men who were with Saul, traveling with Saul, these men stood speechless, hearing the voice, but they saw no one. So who saw the physical Lord Jesus? Saul did. And the only way the writer of Acts to describe it was, it was like a light. It was magnificent. It was glorious. And even his bodyguards that traveled with him, they heard the words, but they didn't see the light. They didn't see Jesus. But Saul did. And Ananias goes, look, I know the story, Saul. I know Jesus appeared to you. And you remember what happened when Saul saw the light and was confronted with this resurrected, risen Savior? You remember what Saul did? It says that he fell to his what? Knees. So when you fall to your knees, at least in Scripture, it's a reference to humbling oneself or being broken over something. Saul, a man on a mission, encounters a risen Savior, 
and he falls to his knees. And then Jesus speaks, verse 4, he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now think about that. He's on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden he has this divine interruption, and Jesus shows up, and he falls to his knees in humility and in brokenness, and here's the first words Jesus speaks to him, Saul, Saul. Now, you say, why would he call his name twice? Well, in the Bible, anytime you say things more than once, it's for emphasis, like holy, holy, holy. I mean, it's a picture that when you say something more than once, that there's a real emphasis on that, like God really is holy. So he says, Saul, Saul. Now, why would he say that to Saul? Because he not only wanted to emphasize who he's talking to, but he didn't want Saul to miss it. It's like with your kids, you're like, hey, 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 boys, 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 right? I mean, you say it because you want to know, I'm talking to you, dadgummit, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, man? He's kind of asking him this question. Why are you on a mission to kill the people that love me? Saul, why are you on a mission to snuff out what I want people to know about? Saul, why are you so bent on rejecting me? Saul, I don't get what you're doing. And I just want to say this to you this morning. I believe like maybe no other day in your life that maybe today there's this quiet, still, small voice in your mind or maybe in your heart that's calling your name, asking the same question Saul heard, what are you doing? Why are you walking down the path you're walking down? Why are you choosing to sin the way you're choosing to sin? Why are you choosing to do the things that you do? Why are you continuing to walk down a path that will take you further away from me? Why are you doing it? I just don't get it. Why are you doing it? So some of you are like Saul this morning, and you've been hearing that voice of God, and you haven't heard it audible voice, but there's been this tension in your spirit going, why do I keep doing these things that I'm doing? Maybe it's because God's speaking to you just like he did Saul. And then something happened in verse 5. His th- everything changed here. And he said this, Saul speaking, who are you, Lord? Now, I don't know about you, but if I encounter somebody I don't know, I just would simply say this, who are you? Right? Would you not say the same thing? But what does Saul say? Who are you, Lord? Now, when's the last time you ever called somebody Lord? Come on, when's the last time? Now, your husbands are thinking, well, that would be a great shift in my home if that would happen, right? It's not going to happen. They might call you the devil, but they're not going to call you Lord, right? When's the last time you called somebody Lord? You don't, because this question tells us a lot about the moment that Saul is about, his life's about to change. See, for us, when we say the word Lord, it doesn't have the same intensity that it had for Saul. See, for some of us, we'll say, well, good Lord, right? That's just kind of a, a disgusting way. Or something will happen, we'll go, Lordy, 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 Right? And none of that has meaning to us. It shows disgust or indifference. But for Saul, who was a religious man, he was a Pharisee. To speak the name of God was sacred. And so he's looking at this image from his knees. And he's looking at Jesus, resurrected Savior, who's put him on his knees, humbled him, and broken him. And here's his question. Who are you, Lord? Now, by the fact that he's saying Lord lets us know that he understands the person that he's speaking to is God. Because he wouldn't just say Lord. It wasn't just something that rolled off his tongue. It was very intentional. 
So the fact that he called Jesus Lord let us know that he believes the one he's encountering is God. And the fact that he's able to ask this question, who are you, Lord, lets us know that he understands for the first time the one he's been persecuting is the one he thought he loved, God. He is persecuting God. The one he, I mean, listen, for a Pharisee to be a Pharisee, it started at an early age, and they had to become the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. They had to weed all this stuff out to be the best person they could be, the most godly person, and eventually maybe they might make it to a Pharisee. I mean, this was like the upper echelon of the their career. Here's a guy who lived his life teaching the Old Testament, saying he loved God, yet Jesus, who is God, looks at him and goes, dude, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who are you, Lord? See, by the fact he asked the question lets us know that Paul understood for the first time that the one he was persecuting, who is God, is the very one whom he loves. And it also lets us know this, that maybe for the first time, Maybe for the first time, he's thinking, maybe this story about Jesus of Nazareth, maybe the story about this guy who died on a cross and rose from a grave, maybe this story is true. Come on, look at me, look at me. Maybe it's true. I've been an anti-Jesus in the beginning, but today, maybe this is legit. And then Jesus speaks up when he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus speaks up and says, hey, it's me, Saul. I am God. I am Jesus. I'm the one who died, and I'm the one who rose again. It is me, Saul. I am Jesus. The word Jesus in the original language means God who saves. That's what it means. God who saves. Look, look, Saul, God who saves is here. I'm the one that you're persecuting, Saul. And see, in that moment, for Saul... Everything changed because he realized that the Jesus he thought was dead is alive. The Jesus he thought was in the grave is risen and he's Messiah and he's Savior and he is Lord and he is God and he is broken because he's been persecuting the very one whom he thought he was worshiping. And everything changed for him. In this moment, everything changed. He was confronted about his sin, persecuting God. He was broken over his sin because he fell to his knees. But listen to this. Saul, we also know, gave his life to Jesus in this moment. Everything changed. He surrendered his life to him. Well, Doug, how do you know that? I don't see it in what you read. Well, you don't see it in what I read, but here's where you do know. Read the rest of the New Testament. Because out of 27 books written in this New Testament, Saul, whose name turned to Paul, wrote 13 of them. And this Saul, whose name turned to Paul, wrote things about how he was wretched, how he was pitiful, how he was a sinner, and how he had a moment that this resurrected Jesus changed his life. And he dedicated the rest of his life writing to churches like ours about what it means to follow and to live for Jesus. And he spent the rest of his life dedicated to living for him. This was a moment that everything changed for him. This was a moment that marked a new direction in his life. It was this moment, please hear me because this is where some of you are going to land today. It was this moment that he realized his life needed to make a U-turn. Anybody know what a U-turn is? Any men in the room know what a U-turn is? No, I don't know what a U-turn is. I never go the wrong direction. Liars, right? We all know what a U-turn is, right? A U-turn is when you're going one direction and you realize and it dawns on you that I'm going what? The wrong direction. And I have a choice. 
Do I continue going down the wrong direction? Or do I make a U-turn and go the right direction? Paul, Saul, who became Paul, made a U-turn. So my question for us this morning is very simple. Where is your story taking you today? Is it taking you closer to God and closer to Christ? Or is it taking you further away? One of my favorite passages that Jesus taught on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, is this passage the very end. He kind of wraps up the sermon and he says this to a large group of people. Thousands of people on the hillside. And here's what Jesus says to them. Alright, here it is. You've pretty much heard all that I've said. Here's the choice. Life is about two gates and two paths. There's a wide gate and a path that leads to destruction. And then there's a narrow gate that leads to life. If you choose the white gate, here's what you're going to find. A road that's paved, it looks beautiful, it has all the desires, the attractions of the world, and everybody, there's, listen, not many will find this road, but let me tell you where it ends. It ends in destruction. It will end in eternal separation from your heavenly father. That's the wide gate and the wide path. But then there's this narrow gate, and there's this narrow path. And when you go down this path, let me tell you, it's a, it's a little bit jagged. The brush needs to be pushed a little bit to the side. But when you go down this path, you're going to find where it ends is life. And then Jesus says this, but few find it. You know why few find that path? It's because the world is screaming, come down this path. Hey, you can love Jesus and live for Jesus and still have all the love of the world. You can have all the things of the world. You can live like you want to live. You can be who you want to be. You can make your life all about you. Come down the wide path. And many will find that, but it leads to destruction. But then there's this narrow path, the path of choosing Jesus as your Savior that will lead to eternal life, but few will find it. So my prayer for you this morning is very, very simple. And my prayer for all of us is I want us to ask ourselves two questions this morning. Are you with me? Two questions. Number one, what path are you on? Not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, not your in-laws, not your outlaws, whatever you want to call it. Not anybody else, but you. What path are you on? Are you going down the wide gate that leads to destruction, eternal separation? Or have you chosen the narrow gate by surrendering your life to Christ? Question number one, what path are you on? Question number two, do I need to make a U-turn today? See, if you're going down the wide gate, the wrong path, the one that leads to destruction, today you need to make a U-turn. Today you need to turn yourself around and go through the narrow gate. So what path are you on? And secondly, do you need to make a U-turn this morning? Let me tell you what I mean by that. There's some of you in the room today who are followers of Jesus Christ. And you'd be honest enough to say this, that there's been a season of your life where you were not living and obeying and really being the kind of follower of Jesus that you ought to be. And what I'm asking you to do today is make a U-turn. I'm asking you to recommit yourself to your Savior and that you're going to spend the rest of your life living for Him. I'm asking you, as a believer, who strayed away to make a U-turn and to change the direction of your life. I'm asking you that. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you would have an experience like Saul had. 
that there might be a divine interruption. Maybe it's in your thinking, maybe it's in your calendar. I don't know where it's at, but I pray that there's a divine interruption that you realize that today I'm going down the wrong path. Yes, I may have all the money in the world. Yes, I think I have all the pleasure of the world. But at the end of the day, all of this is vanity. All of this is just going to be stuff that I've accumulated, but yet I still have no peace in my heart. I'm struggling, and I need Peace. Listen, it's amazing the number of people I talk to and the conclusion we all come to is what you're asking is you're looking for peace. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. And some of you have never trusted Christ and the thing you want more than anything is peace for your soul. Well, let me tell you how you find it. You make a U-turn. You choose to quit walking the direction you're going, which is away from Christ, down to the wide gate on the wide path that leads to destruction. And you make a U-turn and say, Lord, today I'm going to surrender my life to you. Lord, today I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that I need your forgiveness for my sin. And I truly trust Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of my life. Today, God, I'm going to make a U-turn and walk from not believing to today I'm going to put my trust and faith in you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, oh, Doug, you're a preacher. You have no idea the junk I've been through. You have no idea the stuff that I've done. And you know what? You're right. I don't. Nor do I need to know. Nobody needs to know in this room. Because there's one who knows that's way wiser than any of us. God knows. But when I read the Bible, here's what I find out. That you never can be so bad that he's unwilling to accept you. Never. I don't care. What, listen, if there was a guy in the Bible that was bad, that was Saul. I mean, he was not just bad. He was bad, as some of us would say, bad to the bone. I mean, this guy did everything against God, killing those who follow God. If there was ever a guy who would fit into the category of bad, it was this guy named Saul. But what you find out is he had a divine intervention. His life changed, and his message changed millions of lives even beyond his own life. And I would just simply say this to you. You never can be bad enough. I've done too much bad that God is not willing to accept you. You can never run far enough away from him that he's unwilling to take you back. And you can never do enough stuff against him that would push you beyond the borders of his grace because your sin is not near as big as his grace. And I'm just saying this to you. If you have an excuse today of why you can't make a U-turn, would you drop those excuses? Because his love his acceptance, and his grace is way bigger than any excuse you can offer him. So my prayer is just simply this. What path are you on? And do you need to make a U-turn? Do you need to recommit yourself to Christ as a believer? Or do you need to put your faith in him for the first time and tell him that you do believe? So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up, every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're just a group leader, if you just find a space around the edges of the room, just all, any group leader that's here this morning, if you just find some space around the edge of the room, somebody that maybe they need to talk to someone. Myself will be in one corner and there'll be some other group leaders around. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just challenge you with this. If you're here today and you're like Doug and sometimes your life goes astray as a believer, would you have the courage to make the U-turn? Would you have courage to say, Lord, I, I've, I've not lived the way you want me to live. 
But today I'm committing to recommit myself to you. I'm committing myself to really live for you. I know I've blown it. I know I've screwed up. But you forgive me. And I just want to come back to you. And I want to start living for you again. Maybe some of you need to make that decision. But then for those of you that never trusted Jesus as your Savior, would you make a big U-turn today? Would you have the courage to decide that you're tired of going the direction you're going? And that you're going to turn around and trust Jesus as your Savior and let Him give you a new direction. A direction that will lead you to life. A direction that will lead you down a path of loving and living for Him. So if you need to recommit yourself today or you just need to trust Jesus as Savior, I'm going to pray for you. And when I'm done, I'm going to ask you to have courage today. Just step out of the seats wherever you find yourself. Find myself on the one side of the room and Dave and some group leaders on the other side and just say, would you pray with me about recommitting myself? Would you pray with me about trusting Jesus as my Savior? Would you have the courage to make a decision today? Father God, I love you. I thank you for the story of Saul. What a fascinating story. How in one moment he goes from hating Christians, hating those who following, follow Jesus, and in the next moment, he's the greatest follower of all. God, I thank you that you work that way. God, I thank you that in the midst of his sin and his violence and his vulgar personality and attitude, that you broke him and you changed him. God, I thank you that you still work like that. And I pray for the person out there that's hard and they're cold and they're uncertain. I pray that there would be a divine interruption and you would break them today. And remind them how much you love them. Remind them that you love them so much. You sent your son to a cross. And that three days later he did rise again to prove that he was the only son of God. So God, I pray for us. I pray that those that are believers, we would recommit ourselves. And for those who don't know you, that maybe for the first time today, we would make the greatest U-turn we've ever made in our lives and trust Jesus as our Savior. God, be with us. May your Holy Spirit work only as he can. For it's your precious and glorious Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to make a decision today, there are people who love to talk to you, love to pray with you, love to lead you, guide you. But would you have the courage to make that decision and not just sit there and let it linger, but have the courage to trust Him by faith. If you need someone to pray with you, someone to talk to you, please step out and find one of these amazing adults and let them guide you. Let's continue to worship together.